You're listening to the Healing the City podcast with Eric Seepin and Ron Brown. This particular Healing the City podcast is a conversation with Nathan, who is an atheist and is dialoguing with Ron and I about his beliefs. We pick up the conversation right in the middle, so you should probably listen to the first part if you want to know what's going on. I hope you enjoy. I mean, I think maybe some other time we can we can talk about the evidences for the resurrection. Um, which is actually in, uh, more and more accepted by historians as a fact that Jesus's followers believed, not a something that was, uh, you know, just made up in the sense that they, by 15 to 20 years after his death, were universally um, quoting creeds um, that affirmed it. Yeah, I'd like to highlight the, what you said, though, the fact that they believed. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and I won't doubt that fact. I won't, I won't doubt that contention. That's all we have, right? That's all we have. Yeah. But not only did they believe, some of them were willing to die for that belief, be tortured for that belief, and that was documented by unfriendly sources, uh, like Roman governors who were doing the torturing well, and, and stuff. I <laughs> so, hate to beg the question, but how yeah. do we know the, the state of the minds of the people who were tortured? Sure. It could have been, coincid- it could have been coincidental as well. Uh, what I mean by that is, say the I often hear about the 500 witnesses to mm. certain miracles that had happened and and, and then persecution and I don't know the 500 is exact number I'm just throwing it out there is something I keep on hearing around the water cooler yes, around this yes. discussion first Corinthians 15 yeah yes, yes part of the creed yeah 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 um well something came to my mind and I guess I wasn't the first one to think of this is there any plausible reason why people might be killed for supposed beliefs well I mean it happens nowadays sure go to north korea if you do, if you do, if you <laughs> right, 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 if you go right. to north korea and you say that uh, yeah. the 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 head of the the, the uh, if you say that there isn't a succession of godhood between let's say kung jun il and his successors that you'd be put to death for that are all people who are put to death who live in north korea also being put to death because of that it seems Sure. Maybe sure. that's a bad example, but what I'm trying yeah, to get at is. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe that's not the best. Maybe it is. I, I don't know. See, I'm comfortable with the claim that uh, claims of belief because I actually hmm. will give people benefit of the doubt for that. If they tell me they, I believe in the literal death and resurrection of Christ, I'm like, okay, I believe what you're saying is true, but it doesn't mean I know what that means. Right, it doesn't right. mean that I have to also believe because yeah. someone says they believe. And that's not yeah. to say that the. the I don't even care as much about like when things are written down because of right. things like oral tradition. And um, there are other texts that I like about the, in the ancient world, Plato and Aristotle, name a few, and the pre-Socratics that there's been question whether or not they even existed. Like uh, no, Socrates, for instance, is a figurehead. Yeah. Some people posit that he might not have existed, but does that change my view of Socrates? Not really. <laughs> it, no. it makes it more. It makes it kind of more interesting to me. But right. then again, we're not claiming godhood or miracles right, right. This, here. This, this is, yeah. Yes, this is, it takes it up to a different level. Yeah, like, yeah, and, yeah. and I guess uh, so. To just rewind a little bit, and and I think where I was hoping to get you, because I, I realize you can you could go and we could have an argument back and forth about all these things. Mm-hmm. But you said I don't believe in a soul. I don't believe in a resurrection. I don't mm-hmm. believe so. What is why? Just explain to me. Talk to me a little bit about what that is. Why you don't believe those things? Do you believe in colors you can't see? Well, yeah. Let's say in the let's say the I spectrum. do actually. So when we're talking about something like the soul. 
I'm thinking of something that when I picture it in my head, thinking of something immaterial, I don't know what it's like to think of something immaterial. Now, when it comes to something, you can push back really quick. Well, what about like mathematics or something? Well, I guess it depends what my view on that is. Coming together, though, when it when it end of the day, the average person, when you ask them about the soul, like if they believe in the soul and, and say it happened to a Christian, they're going to probably describe something like a ghost or something like a, a phantom or whatever. And I'm not going to push back on them on that. I believe they're being sincere. I don't have those same sort of, I guess, the greatest common denominator belief. So they're not built in me at all. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. never sensed it. I never had any experience with it. So they're... Again, that's what I'm looking for. So you, so for like the you haven't had an experience of it. You don't. Yeah. So that's helpful to me. Yeah. Uh, it seems that a lot of times you posit yourself in contrast to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you contrast yourself to the average believer or the average non-believer. When I asked you a question about you, and I appreciate you just saying you haven't had the experience of those things, so you don't. But but built in but built in that assertion isn't that because I haven't had the experience. Doesn't mean it sh- it can't happen, and therefore I just have an experience. And therefore, it possibly exists. I just don't think it's a category um, of things that exist in the sense that I think words that are attached to things like words existence actually mean. So when I say I don't believe in the soul, it's not that I don't have feelings about you know what it is that makes me a person or the the prime characteristics that make me who I am or whatever. I don't believe in the picture that other people are painting when they tell me that they believe in something like the soul. And I, I always go to the greatest common denominator. I go to the average person's belief because again, if I was to be steered one way or another to something like Christianity, it, it would have to be something like Calvinism or some sort of Protestant sect where like why all the theology, the average person doesn't like, no, they, they already have something in them. It seems that precludes a belief in the sophistication that comes out of these types of discussions. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm left I'm like, okay, well, do we appeal to the, the, the nine year old woman who prays, you know, three times a day and who would never question her faith or do we appeal to the 26 year old with a PhD in theology who is very sophisticated, but has no, his, his belief status. If you say, look at it from the outside and just interpreting from the outside only doesn't resemble hers at all. She's not concerned about the, texts and their validity she already believes mm-hmm. her faith in a way to me is in a way i don't know why i would say this seems more legitimate to me hmm. like she's not putting on a show perhaps and i'm not accusing theologians or people who are sophisticated putting on a show but so yeah, sort of, I, I would say yeah like both of their faiths presumably are genuine yeah i believe but, they're both genuine right but it's like yeah the 26 year old theologian grad student person is probably has a much more well-informed position but i don't think and i don't think you would say this i don't think like having people that believe in something that some of them claim a belief in it even though they couldn't make a good case for it themselves isn't actually like it's not an argument against the belief itself like there are probably like tens of millions or maybe a hundred million americans that have no comp problem accepting evolution but could they make a, 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 a solid case for it you know, they might have just kind of almost like inherited that belief just from the culture. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing can be said of Christians, you know, or, or any or like Muslims in the Middle East, you know, like it just people like they take the, they they inherit these beliefs from the culture surrounding them and, and and they hold them genuinely. But if you actually like p- tried to pin them down to defend their beliefs, not all of them could do it. I mean, this is the heart of the Socratic method. Yeah. I mean, he found that 
interrogating anyone, regardless of their social status, you'd find very quickly in a few questions that yep. what do they actually believe or what are they actually claiming would be shown to be in shambles or at least in un in unfounded grounds. Mm-hmm. And the the same I think the same metric applies to me as it does to everyone else. I'm not heralded or exalted in any way. Um I know my limitations and I don't I know limitations I sorry. I know some of my limitations, but there's also a category of limitations I'm unaware of that I'm incapable of having. So when I ask you the question, like, do you believe in a color you can't see? What I'm meaning is if you had, uh, if everyone in around you, let's say, was playing a really devious trick on you, mm-hmm. okay? And I, can, I managed to convince everyone that you saw, including your wife and kids, to see someone in the room who wasn't there, mm-hmm. okay? We're just make we're playing this game on you, right? Yeah. And this went on for like a long time. He might he might be after a while start to question like you're standing like, uh, did I have a stroke or something in my sleep right, when I was right, napping right. or whatever? Or uh, does it change the validity of whether or not that thing exists or not? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm, I'm not equating uh, belief and and mm. and a lot of people having faith in something as a you know a mass psychosis or something like that. Right. Uh, just, I don't know what people are talking about when they say that they believe in the soul. I don't know what that mm-hmm, means. Mm-hmm. It, I literally do not know what that means. And it's not for lack of trying. It's when you're talking, I can't picture anything in my head that is commensurate with any sort of experience I've had that makes sense by making sense in, embodied in my world right now. And I guess that kind of ties to other beliefs, like well, ap- the afterlife or whatever. But I still use the cultural vestige of saying something like, this person has a lot of soul or this person's an old soul. I know what that means. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the, the claims as they're tied to the supernatural actually mean. And I don't think I want to go to a theologian or a sophisticated apologist for that type of answer. Sure. It makes no sense when the granny down the... That, so who's praying so you, six times a day or whatever? You might want to be around her to maybe take, I, well, to that. there'd be less pretense, I well, guess. And I think, I mean, I, I guess, <laughs> and, and because I, I don't know you very well, Nathan, and and I'm just trying to figure out how you uh, construct things, right? Because oh. we all construct things. I don't think we do this consciously. I, I would disagree with you. The older you get, and the more you think, and you're, you guess there's a lot of subconscious construction, but you've obviously thought a lot. So you construct things. Yeah. And, and things that feel in you, like you have some kind of feeling. I'm mm-hmm. assuming you have feelings. Um, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you experience something and you begin to deduce and, and create a, a system for you to approach it. In fact, I, I noticed the system because as soon as I ask you a question, you filter every word thing I've asked you through a system and then spit out the answer to it, right? You've got yeah. a way of approaching these things. Yeah, we all use heuristics to sort of sure. sort out the world. But the question is, does is that a conscious effort? For instance, my reflexive need to sort of strive for balance when it comes to when you're answering these questions is sort of divide up me and the rest of the world or me and those beliefs. I don't think that's a conscious agent of my control um, as much as like if I ask you, which, what's the next word that's going to come up to your head when I speak? It's an only in an after image that we actually see something. So we, this again, maybe this is more psychological than philosophical. That's okay. I appreciate the philosophical arguments, but I am who I am as far as how I'm in the world. I don't control the, my brain or the evolution that may have selected it for certain types of pressures or the, early constraints on my childhood or what whatnot and just like I don't control 
the next word's going to come out of your mouth or the next reaction's going to come out. But you do control your volition at the moment. Uh, at least I think so. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> well, they, For instance, I'm not controlling well, the sweating that I'm having in the chair right now. Yes, certain, certain, or my heart rate. Yes. I or, wouldn't say well, you, yeah. you could actually, you <laughs> can exert control over those parts of your brain for a short period of time yes i wouldn't say you can you could control your volition though like as bf skinner once said free will is the ability to do what you want to do unfortunately though we can't control what we want so for example like let's say i'm trying to diet and lose weight i can't just be like all right from now on i don't like chocolate (laughs) you know yes but but if yeah but you can be goal directed and goal directed absolutely yeah you can override your volitions sometimes but i don't think you can pick them uh, I don't. I don't think that the majority of believers, again, this is me making that juxtaposition between myself and others, are making choices for the types of belief structures they inherit necessarily. Now they could be cognizant of it. Like, yes, I'm, I'm indebted to an experience. For instance, that someone has a, uh, has like a, a grand experience that changed their life. I think those are very important, and I think that in a way those are, quote, more real, using real as like an honorific here, uh, than someone propositionally getting there, right? right? Um, it seems that the propositional aspects, the Christian apologetics in particular, seems to be, it's an academic endeavor, and it's very interesting to me personally, but I don't think that's the way in which most people come to their belief hmm. systems. And then not just for apologetics, let's say for See, any any subject yeah, of inquiry. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, in here, maybe we'll just... just Diverge yeah. to more my area of things, but instead of philosophy and all that nice stuff, <laughs> we can dive into psychology for a minute. But um, uh, here's where I, I would disagree with you. I, I think people do what they want to do, um, and I think they make choices uh, to protect themselves to do what they want to do. Um, now, and so I think you know, I think I believe in Jesus because I want to believe in Jesus. Right? I, I want to, so I believe it. Right, you don't believe because you don't want to, and, and now, and you might disagree with me, and that's fine. But I think, um, of course, we can play with belief and what we mean by that word and all mm-hmm. those kinds. Or of do things. or don't, do yeah. or don't. Yeah. But I, when I say we do what we want to, is my working as long as I work with people, and I sit with them. If you start digging deep down. Um, the choices that they're making are to protect things or to, to give them a particular kind of advantage or disadvantage or advantage to things mm-hmm. and others a disadvantage or to get a kind of experience that they want. Right. Um, so they make those choices. Now they may not feel like they are, they own those choices. They feel like they may be things that they don't have control over. Um, like, so if you have, you're an addict and you have an addiction, even at the far end of your addiction, you're still making a choice. It may be buried deep, deep inside of you now that you have buried it under um, chemical, um, you know, distortions in your brain that you've created through repeated use of drugs, but you still make a choice each time. It's a hard choice or an easy choice, right? I mean, it's too hard. I don't want to make the choice because it is too hard for me. So that resonates, that, that more or less resonates with me as far as people go and, I wouldn't have much to say about that as far as the way you said it or anything like that. Um, question is then can we apply the same, say, framework mm-hmm. or framing mm-hmm. 
say, say to the history of belief itself and belief structures. This sounds kind of postmodern, and I'm not trying to make that appeal because it's it's a hornet's nest of well, what do you mean? What exactly do you mean by it? What do you mean exactly by the? What do you mean by a? That's not the road I'm trying to go down. Um, what I'm trying to say is, so we apply, let's say, psychoanalysis, for instance. You mentioned psychology. Um, I'm thinking Freud and maybe his comments on, let's say, religion. I don't necessarily agree with the the jest of them and the imp- the total implications, but I think there might be something th- there. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Uh, we can apply this commentary, for instance. Mm-hmm. You take a say an average sophisticated Christian or above average sophisticated Christian. Say, okay, what do you? How do you think? Why is it that Islam is the way it is? We might apply that same thing, and you can get a secular person to agree. The moment that the same type of, of framework comes to their own beliefs, all of a sudden it dissipates. All of a sudden it's divine. It's like, well, we got to get rid of that framework then. We got to get rid of that, that, if you want to call it a Skinner framework or a, a psychoanalytic framework, it wouldn't be fair to not apply it to ourselves. And it's hard to do because it's hard to analyze yourself at, well, while maintaining a level of subjectivity that's appropriate and also objectivity right, and so right. on and so forth. And I hate it when atheists, this is something I don't like when more militant atheists apply this. They say, well, um, because of the history of beliefs surrounding this structure, you could say, let's say called the Catholic church and they committed all these atrocities. And we, we know it's a, this whole thing happened on earth. Well, then you right now have to make a case for why your belief system is correct now despite, I mean, because of all these atrocities. I think it's sort of unfair because yeah. it's, it's sort of an inheritance of, of debt that no person, no individual could possibly make up. It sounds ad, ad hominem. Right? Well, I mean, it, it just seems it just seems like just, hey, uh, well, you, you, you're different than me in belief. Justify all the, the good and bad things about, and the history of bad things that have happened that, with your religion, yeah, that's that's unfair. Obviously, like it, 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 it'd be like if if Hitler had, I'm sure Hitler had at one point or another said two plus two, two equals four. <laughs> that doesn't make you a Nazi for agreeing <laughs> that right. two plus two equals four. Right. Or l- let's yeah. say someone was using that recent example, like yeah. is to say attack the Catholic Church because of I won't go into it, but because of their history with let's say early Nazism, and including mm. the United States, by the way, not just it wasn't sure. just the Catholic Church. There are a lot of proponents here in the U.S. who were um, cheering on mm-hmm. on Hitler before 1939, and sure. we had to contend with that. Well, does that mean all of what Hitler did was okay because at some point we said it was okay or, or something? Okay. I don't think so. I think it's a sort of it's unfair, especially yeah. when you're talking about history. Like, hey, justify what your ancestors yeah. did a thousand years ago and why you as a person right now shouldn't be convicted of it. Mm. It just seems when it comes to history ideas too, I think it's sort of unfair in a way that's kind of the appeal i'm trying to make to you it's more it's not i don't know if it's exactly psychological or philosophical i don't expect you to necessarily make the same types of justifications that the original church elders might have made in the context of the first second and third century sure and and no i just think i i was trying to make the point that there is this psychological element to the choices we make and the beliefs we have and they do something for us or they don't do something for it. I mean, yeah. right. That's, uh, we become disillusioned when a set of beliefs don't do the thing we want them to do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I agree with all that. So, uh, we begin. So I, I just think our culture tends to, uh, push away the idea that we have choice. 
that we're propelled into things mm-hmm. and we're just bouncing around, right? And, and we're like billiard balls or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, I'm not responsible mm-hmm. for But, I mean, if you study anything in neurobiology, you know that there's a good portion of things that you, you have choice for. And, and there's and, a whole discipline of psychoanalysis that says that we don't know the origins of a lot of our choices either. And then even deeper in the neurobiology, we're discovering things about the unconscious that we're just beginning to appreciate as far as, well, why do we take it for granted for something like, is something as easy as a choice between red and blue mm-hmm. under the supervision of an fMRI machine? How is it that we're able to detect with pretty good um, consistency what someone's going to make before they're consciously aware? And then the metric for mm. what consciously aware is can be debated all day, but it's at the very least, com- it's compelling because mm-hmm. it's like, are we really moral agents or mm-hmm. not? It gets to that extreme. And mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm still a proponent of something like libertarian free will. So I'm not trying to escape your questions or anything like that. I'm just trying to beg the questions like, well, okay, that's, I agree with what you're saying. I think, does that mean it also applies to the history of certain beliefs that have been very beneficial for mankind or less beneficial for mankind? Yeah. But then I want to say, it's not fair if I said, okay, well, I'm going to morally indict you for something that happened 2000 years ago or not. Right. Right. All right. Well, so sorry to interrupt. We've been going for about an hour. Yeah. Now, so do you, we probably should uh, wrap it up fairly well, soon. But I, I, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> I just wanted to like so just come back because my my real hope today was that we, that you'd come and grill me over the things I've said the last few weeks, and that that really hasn't happened, and that's okay. Um. But so I just, I'll, I'll tell you a bit about my conversion story. Um. So to disagree with Eric a few minutes ago, who said people believe what they want to believe. Yes, that's very often true. Um. No question about it. Uh, but in my case. I wanted to believe in God for well before I actually did believe. Now, but to your point, you're right. I was motivated to believe, right? Um, like I had the issue with the, the relationship I was trying to save. But even beyond that, as I just said, for years, I'd wanted to believe. You know, I've had anxiety. I've had depression. I've had mm-hmm. anger issues. You know, like it would be wonderful to feel like um, I'm not alone in this universe and that my suffering is it's not in vain, things like that. That, But just because I wanted to believe it didn't mean I could. But what I found was when my friend John from Toronto um, told me about the prophecies, what it, for to me, what it did was it gave me permission to actually seriously consider believing. And then as I researched more, it gave me the permission to believe whilst believe while still maintaining my sense of uh, integrity. Right. Like, I feel like I want to believe, but I need to have good reason to believe. And now I have it. And it still is a faith. It could be wrong. Totally. But I feel like now I have like reasonable license to, to stand on this side of the line, so to speak. Um, um, and having said that, there was something else I was going to say, but um, what was I going to say? And yeah, whatever, it's gone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, like as I was saying, though, so the things that kind of won me over, like you know, I talked about all those different prophecies, yeah. right? You know, when Jesus was going to be born, to which family he was going to be born, where, uh, the, um, you know, and then like the, the, the method of death, the behavior of the onlookers, like all those things. And they were all in the Old Testament. That's not going to be edited out because the Jewish people would never have allowed to it uh, to, to happen. So that's what gave me, I guess, in a sense permission to allow myself to enact these beliefs and still respect myself intellectually even though i know that at the end of the day i could be wrong what stops you based on those arguments from doing what i just did 
The specific ones that were yeah, like what, that, you, that you were like, appealed to. Yeah, like clearly they've impressed me more than they've impressed you. I'm guessing because if, if if you know, and so I'm just curious as to what like why your response is different than mine. No, I kind of pushed back on you when I said you you said the case for agnostic atheism. Like mm. I know I came on harping on that. And why I said <laughs> it's a case. Yes, yes. Because without even maybe it's because my imagination, I maybe thought of a better case for agnostic atheism than the case that you made. Let's hear it. More or less, uh, here, here's what I would say if I was trying to appeal. Mm-hmm. I'm making an appeal like Go a logical one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say something like this. I would say that there's no because there's no uh, evolutionary pressures for um, punishing something like atheism in the modern context of the modern world. It's allowed to thrive, and, that's, and people have a psychological – they're kind of born into a disposition that's not uh, ref- uh, selected out as in societal pressures. Society as a whole allows people to have atheistic beliefs and it sort of perpetuates itself through its own, you know, sense of uh, perseverance. And you go back in time and um, someone like me would have been probably along with a lot of other people uh, persecuted for my beliefs if I transported them back in, say, a thousand years. Right. I'd be maybe maybe longer than that, say, 1500 years ago or something. If I was out spouting that I didn't believe in a. Mm higher power or, or God and, and right. I was sincere and earnest, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to, uh, had any sort of, uh, pass my offspring. Right. <laughs> so people who may be more like me or have dispositions like me. So I kind of look at myself as an oddity, not as a good, not as a good thing. Just like, Oh shoot. If, uh, I use this kind of philosophical thought experiment all the time, like, okay, if a comet or something or an asteroid hit earth and the world's population was reduced to like, say 1% of what it is now, what would the belief structures of people look like? We would, pretty much automatically overnight turn tribal mm-hmm. things like feminism would be destroyed overnight mm-hmm. we would have some we'd have a real patriarchy right we hunter gatherers again we'd mm-hmm. we'd kind of de- evolve culturally that way totally because we still have the same hardware just different software and beliefs and and things like that right overnight things would change so i imagine someone like me wouldn't survive in the past and it's just an accident well, we're we're peaceful uh because it's kind of like a a, ho- a house cat that believes they're free well, the reason that they think they're free is because they have a really nice, comfy environment. But you throw it into the wilderness, well, some well, are going to survive, some are not. So it, it's, it's like, correct me if I'm wrong, I mm. might have missed part of what you said. Um, it, it seems like the argument you made has to do with the social acceptability of claiming a belief of disbelief, a, a non-belief, you know that, right? So, so it's so the case in the West. Right, right certainly. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, that, that doesn't, it's like... It doesn't address the arguments for whether the belief is true or not. Right. right? That's, so, that's, so that's I, also, I, I'm well aware of that. Just saying that the reason that it even is, this is my opinion, hmm. this is me despite believing there's no such thing as a higher power. My explanation for why there are people like me comes from a, a stance that says, well, because we live in a fairly peaceful Yes. Time and there's not a lot of pressures to have to conform, certain ideas to conform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's pressures to conform in culture, but there's not sure. enough pressure on the out on the outside, yeah. right? And that's the reason why there aren't more atheists, I would say. But even if yeah. you were like, I don't know, like in the most dangerous part of the Middle East right now, mm-hmm. and you had your same beliefs, the fact that it would be dangerous for you to have those beliefs and um, you know tell people about it. It, that wouldn't. None of that would have anything to do with how true or false right. the beliefs are. Uh, so I think that's where the argument needs to be. Is I, I'd agree, but yeah. that's why I'm saying that. That's why the, I didn't like the title "the case" for oh. it, as if you're the 
only authority on this or something and the people who still hold those <laughs> yeah, beliefs right. can't, so, can't assert something can i can i <laughs> and we probably need to wrap up here soon but i, I just as i listen to you i'm just interested yeah. what i hear you saying it just from a personal perspective because you're not actually trying to come in here and make a propositional argument oh, no. and represent <laughs> a, a group of people but you seem to value for some reason or another other people's narratives and your own narrative and you're okay holding those narratives even though they may contradict each other in two hands and be okay with that. So you are not uncomfortable with the cognitive dissonance that Ron through his own experience and his own research and his own thought processes came to the space where he thought he had a reasonable belief and was able to then move into a a belief in in Jesus. I wouldn't indict him on his personal journey at all. I I think it's really important, and I believe he's sincere in his assertions. It doesn't mean I have to agree, again, with with the the content. And like with these people who know me, they know I kind of fuss over seemingly trivial matters like a word, like like (laughs) the opposed to a. But those are the kind of things that stick out in my mind, usually, before you even get a conversation going. It's like, okay, what implicit framework is here at play am i being charitable or not um what can i do to understand the person can i yeah. recapitulate their belief system or is there something so missing there can i offer you something and, and you can push back <laughs> on this before we close but yeah but you and i've met a lot of people who who don't believe in jesus that's my job partly is yeah. to talk to people who don't believe in jesus mm-hmm. um you're the most like jesus person i know who doesn't believe in jesus <laughs> well i appreciate that thank you um and yeah you approach things with a lot of um, charity and graciousness, of which I see in the Gospels and the way that Jesus approaches other people. I take that as a major compliment, actually. So some people might, ew, why would you taint me with that name or something like that? But something that, you may not like this, but something that Nietzsche said about Christianity. He said a lot of nasty things about Christianity. Sure he did. He definitely... Um, persecuted as a philosophical idea, okay? But what he didn't persecute was Christ himself. And I thought it was, thought it was kind of a cool thing. He said, uh, the problem with Christianity isn't Christ, it's it's Christendom, essentially. And Kierkegaard yeah. also made the same yes. sort of um, observation, but in a different vein, right? And right. I think that's, uh, that was a very nice thing for you to say. So I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, I think be, and, and some of the evidences of that is that you didn't come in here and say, okay, I've, I've got here are my notes. and oh, I do have uh, notes. I just didn't take them out. <laughs> here, here's how you were wrong in this area, in yeah. this area, yeah. and it's kind of stupid that you believe this. Yeah. I had the, the first Corinthians 15 uh, on a little note. Uh, I'm sorry, a little yes. thing here because I was trying to remember specifically something that Lee Strobel was uh, yeah. making an appeal towards. And um, I couldn't remember when I was listening to a interview with him recently so i just wrote it down i was like okay that might that might come up we'll see we'll see gotcha but i mean you didn't you didn't listen take the like the dictation of his podcast of of ron's and say okay i'm gonna talk about this i did do a lot of uh since the i knew that he was gonna do his original podcast i had revisited stuff based on conversation i had with him and michael because I asked Michael, what exactly did you give him? I was like, oh, I've already read that book. Yeah. The, the yeah. Least Trouble book, yeah. for instance. Yeah. I gave Ron a, uh, a, a thick tome on Christian apologetics that I was using in 2006, 2008 as a, is it in conjunction with the NIV Bible, it was a study Bible that I was using mm-hmm. 
in my earnest, uh, as an 18-year-old, earnest attempt at trying to read the Bible as, as well as I could, at least at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if I read it now, it'd be different. I'd have a lot more uh, appreciation for certain things. Mm-hmm. It's one of those Bibles that has the English on the NIV version on the left and then a lot of notes on the right, yes. the translation yeah. and stuff. So it's like yeah. a really thick Bible. It's, yeah. it's, 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 very, super, it's a famous Bible. It might have been a little too, uh, too much for an 18-year-old, yes. but mm-hmm. I did spend most of my time reading the left side opposed to the right. And it's one of those Bibles that has the... Uh, Whatever Jesus talks or, or attributed to speaking or saying something, it's in red. Right, yeah. The, and it's called a red letter Bible. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, so, go so, ahead, Ryan. So what's, the, what's our email for the mailbag? Is it villagersonline at gmail.com? No, so you no. could submit it's healingthecity at gmail.com. Okay. All right. So I was <laughs> – I'm a little disappointed, Nathan. I was expecting you to grill me much harder than you did. Um, so, um, but if any – You have a long life to live. I don't want to do that. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. We should spread it out. We should spread it out. <laughs> and I heard you made a short joke about me yesterday, which I – I can respect that. Um, but anyhow, um, so, and I also, I heard, was it your end of wedding anniversary? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Congrats. we just, uh, on the 18th, was our uh, two-year an- uh, two anniversary. So. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, so, but to anyone who felt like, okay, like I heard the last couple podcasts and there's an argument Ron made for atheism that I think is flawed or an argument that Ron made for Christ that I think is flawed. Feel free to email us and, and, and we'll do what we did today, which was read the question and mm. a statement and answer it. And then try to answer it. But I also just want to say, Nathan, thank you. I oh, think welcome. really appreciate you, your approach to this. Oh, uh, thanks for having me. The yeah. way you talk through things. Um, so yeah, it's fun to listen to you. I think people will enjoy. I think people are gonna have to have their dictionary out a little bit for some of the words you use. I, I hope not. That was against my my appeal in the first place. <laughs> well, you're you're a very smart person, so you sometimes maybe forget that you're that smart, and <laughs> you say a few words that people might not know. So anyway, awesome. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks. Oh, thanks, guys. All right, guys. If you got questions, email us. Thanks. You've been listening to the Healing the City podcast with Ron Brown and Eric Seepin. If you wish to ask a question, you can email us at healingthecity at gmail.com. Also, like us on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you.